Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, January 20th. Thanks as always for taking the time to tune in. On today's show, going to be talking a bunch about hockey. The uh, Kamloops Blazers, first of all, had a huge weekend. Uh, won three games in three nights by a combined score of 25-3. to In Friday's 12-3 win over Tri-City, there were 11 different goal scorers with defenseman Max Martin, the only player to score a pair. Reese Ramsey got the start in both games against the Americans, getting a shutout on Saturday night in a 9-0 victory. And then last night, Dylan Garan got back between the pipes against Vancouver in his first game back for the Blazers after the Topps Prospects game in Hamilton last week. Garan didn't look like he was suffering any ill effects of the travel as he notched his third shutout of the season, saving all 21 shots that he faced. Here is John Keane wrapping up that four to nothing win on the road. And the Blazers spring it ahead. It's Santazzo and Zeri here. Hughes as well. Zeri in Halls finds Hughes. Hughes Zeri shot scores. That's how you put the icing on the cake on the power play off the rush. Put it in the books. Blazers go up four nothing. Yes, that proved to be the final goal of the weekend there last night as the Blazers won that game 4 to nothing in Vancouver uh, to take 3 of 3 on the weekend. Head coach Sean Cluston believes the team is now getting some of the respect that it deserves when it comes to you know other teams around the league and scouts as, as well as after the Blazers recently got back into the uh, CHL Top 10 rankings. Uh, you know, it just sounds like one more notch in their belt as uh, they look to uh, continue to earn the respect of the opponents throughout not only the WHL but the entire Canadian Hockey League. I know that here in town, I mean, it's the support has been terrific. I mean, that's, you know, where most of my attention is at, le- is at least. I think that, you know, the rankings come out and we did make a return to that. And, you know, that that's, that's hard to do. You're looking at the whole league. You're looking at different divisions and conferences. They usually mostly look at your win percentage and, you know, maybe what you've done recently. You know, you win a few games and you might climb a little bit. You drop a few or a couple and you, and you move down. So, obviously, um, you know, with, with Grand and with, uh, you know, Connor Zary and, you know, Josh Pillar's been, been having some interviews. I think, you know, I think the scouts know that you know, we've got some good young players that are, that are draft eligible. And, you know, I think that, you know, I mentioned it earlier, seems, seems to, like, teams seem very prepared. You know, they're, you know, they're playing us hard or attempting to, to play us quite hard. Well, being the number one team in the BC division, and uh, really right now they're on an eight-game win streak. So those uh, two things alone are definitely going to help people notice you. And sending a, a player to the top prospects game with not just three points, that's, of course, Connor Zary. And then your number one goalie was a mere second away from a personal shutout in that contest. So that uh, those things, of course, are never going to hurt your case when trying to prove that you are one of the better teams in the league. And I think Kamloops is uh, very well aware, or people around the league are very well aware that Kamloops is one of those teams. So John Keane, Blazers play-by-play announcer, Sir, will join me later to talk more about all of that. No shortage of stuff to discuss when it comes to your Kamloops Blazers. Also on today's show, the Aboriginal People's Television Network agreed last month to a three-year deal to broadcast at least six NHL games each season in Plains Cree. Well, last night they called the Chicago Blackhawks and Winnipeg Jets game. And, well, what exactly does that mean and how meaningful is it to have NHL games broadcast in one's native language? Well, um, here is a little clip from last night's broadcast that I thought I would play as well. Gustavo, 
That was APTN's Clarence Iron making the call as Blackhawks defenseman Eric Gustafson scored on Winnipeg to make it 2 to nothing in the first period there. Uh, I thought it was just really neat to see all the pictures of, of people watching that game with their grandparents, and it just seemed like a, you know, a really cool experience that many of us English-speaking people maybe take for granted, you know, hearing calls in our own language and, and not having that language barrier in any way, shape, or form. It's just something that maybe we don't think about as often. And uh, when we're talking about, you know, native languages and our national sport like hockey, uh, you know, it only makes sense that those two things would go hand in hand. So I will be joined by AT APTN's Acting Executive Director of Programming and Scheduling, Danielle Audette, to talk about the importance of this broadcast, you know, how things were received last night and how exciting it is that there will be a number more of these broadcasts coming up in the next little while. So uh, that'll be a good conversation that'll be coming up at around the 35-minute mark of today's show. Coming up next, though, I will be joined by my usual Monday morning law guest. That's Kyla Lee. A couple of things for us to discuss here today. Uh, one, B.C. Attorney General David Eby had mentioned the possibility of expanding winter tire rules in the province. The comments were made after ICBC stated that it had been seeing a surge of accident claims with the insurer saying the biggest mistake people are making is driving without winter tires. Well, as much as having winter tires does make a whole lot of sense and would help, you know, limit the number of collisions that are indeed occurring, and expanding the rules doesn't sound like the worst of ideas, but, I mean, maybe tell that to people who live in the Lower Mainland, who live in Vancouver, where those, you know, two days a year where winter tires might come in handy and otherwise 363 other days, you know, it's just going to be a, a not-so-nice piece of decor that's sitting up in your, in your uh, apartment. I mean, uh, you know, $700-plus on winter tires, that would be useful a couple of days of the year. Seems like a big waste of money. And then, uh, yeah, like I had mentioned, uh, where the heck are you going to put them? Some people can barely afford, you know, anything more than a bachelor apartment in Vancouver can barely even afford that. Now I'm going to have to take up a quarter of my apartment space with winter tires. Doesn't sound like the smartest of ideas. So uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that possibility. Again, it doesn't sound like anything is imminent in terms of an expansion to those winter tire rules, but just the fact that it even is being talked about might be a little bit short-sighted. So I'll be joined by Kyla Lee. She, of course, lives in Vancouver, so I'm sure she's got a, a bit of a take when it comes to this specific issue here. Uh, there was also this viral video I saw last week of someone walking across the highway, uh, a southern Ontario highway, Highway 427, I believe it was. And in the video, it looks like there was an accident and, and there was a car on each side side of the highway, right? So there's one on one shoulder and one near the meridian, and uh, you know, the cars were parked on each shoulder, and it looked like, you know, the, there were the two parties involved were sort of talking to each other on one side of the road, and then as this dash cam footage is rolling, so there's a car that's coming up the highway, and it's sort of coming up towards this accident, and you're just sort of watching, and it just seems like, you know, a normal drive down the highway, and then all of a sudden, there's this little man that you can see walking across the street. He was little just because he was small in the video and, of course, got bigger as, as he got closer to the car. But he, he seemed to have no urgency about walking across the 400 series highway. I mean, the cars are going like 120K down, down the street. Um, and, and this guy just seemed to be, you know, going for a ginger little stroll across several lanes of speeding traffic. And, uh, you know, when, when the guy stopped and then, of course, was subsequently hit from behind, rear-ended, um, the, the gentleman who was walking across the street almost seemed to feel like uh, uh, it was the, the driver's fault that that happened and not the fact that this crazy dude was seen walking across the street and interrupting traffic and I guess trying to get insurance information. I'm not 100% sure what was happening, but either way, it was not a smart idea. And uh, yeah, in fact, there is rules when it comes to people walking across the highway. You're not supposed to do that. So I'll be joined by Kyla Lee to talk about both of those things and a little bit more um, new legal aid uh, work coming here to the city of Kamloops to help those who maybe can't afford a lawyer be able to access some legal advice. So I'll be 
be talking about all of that as well. So that's going to be coming up after the break. So please stick around, and I'll have more with Kyla Lee after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back in here on Radio NL, and thanks for joining the Jeff Andrea Show. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome my favorite defense lawyer now to the program, the lovely Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show here. Thank you for having me back. So, okay, a couple of things that we want to discuss here today, and, and I'll start with the, the big announcement in Kamloops last week. Um, you know, the Kamloops, along with seven other communities in B.C., received some funding um, in order to enhance the, the legal aid services that are available in the community. So $250,000 for the Elizabeth Fry Center here in Kamloops to have an actual legal professional on site uh, to potentially be able to actually represent individuals as opposed to just, uh, you know, providing that advice so people can go represent themselves. So first and foremost, Kyla, I just wanted to get your take on the importance of these legal aid services and this expansion and, and just how valuable you think it could be to our community. To the community, this adds a huge amount of value. Having a full-time person to provide legal aid services out of a clinic means that people who are having difficulty accessing justice because they don't have uh, the ability to retain a lawyer, they're having difficulty finding even someone to take their case on on legal aid because of how overburdened legal aid lawyers are in the community, this is an excellent move. Um, and it's certainly going to increase access to justice, which is going to decrease burdens on the court. So more people that have representation, the less likely things that don't need to go to trial aren't going to go to trial, the more likely things will be resolved in a favorable way to all parties beforehand. Yeah, and when I was talking with, uh, I believe it was the BC Law Society about this last week, one thing that was kind of mentioned to me that didn't necessarily, uh, it wasn't something I thought about right away, but made a total amount of sense once it was sort of broken down was um, you know, if, if someone is having a difficulty um, when it comes to, you know, maybe a, a landlord and, and they're being improperly evicted, um, you know, if if you can stop that uh, initial eviction from happening, just the number of issues that, you know, can occur as a result of an unlawful e eviction, um, you know, those things get avoided. You know, things like bouncing around from um, government housing to government housing or, or, you know, what might happen to kids if they're involved in that situation. I mean, there's a lot of spin-offs that can occur from one legal problem that if you can kind of nip it in the butt at the beginning, can really have a, a huge difference, not only on the legal system, but just, you know, social services in general. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people who end up sort of rolling like a snowball through our legal system are there because of one incident that wasn't dealt with correctly, either because they didn't have legal representation or they didn't want legal representation or efforts weren't made to resolve the case in a, in a timely fashion and in a favorable way. Um, and so you see these people who have these myriad issues, you know, multiple breach charges in criminal cases or multiple applications in family law cases or, or multiple judicial reviews and dealing with administrative tribunals that don't actually have to get to that point if you had somebody in the first instance say here here's the pathway to get what you want for everybody to be happy in the end and a way that we can all move forward from this and help people stay out of that system and divert these cases from occupying so much court time. Yeah, do you have any ideas sort of maybe how, I don't know if lucky would be the right word, but, you know, just how, uh, you know, awesome it is that Kamloops not only has this service available now through the Elizabeth Fry Center, but that comes in addition to uh, 
um, some services that are also available for, for people through Thompson Rivers University. So we almost doubled our capacity um, in terms of being able to provide some of this legal representation. I mean, is that something that uh, you m might be a little bit unique to Kamloops is to have uh, you know more and more of these services available now? It is unique to Kamloops. I mean, the reality is that the more sort of institutions you have that can provide legal support, like universities that have, you know, law schools that can train, you know, young future lawyers and allow them to take on some cases, the more you can provide for the community. And the unfortunate side of that is that we're not seeing this in other communities where the need may even be greater than in Kamloops. You know, we have a lot of services in the Lower Mainland, of course, because we have, you know, the UBC Law School here. Um, there's a lot of services on the island because of UVic and now Kamloops, um, but there are all these places in British Columbia that are underserviced. The good news is that there are going to be more legal aid clinics being opened throughout the province so that more services can be brought to more communities ultimately in the end. Yeah, and hopefully that uh, will help lessen the burden on the justice system and, and like we had mentioned earlier, all those other spinoff uh, things that can occur as a result. Uh, I'll move on here because, uh, you know, this was kind of an interesting topic that was brought forward here um, about the possibility of, of uh, winter tires being made possibly mandatory, I guess, throughout the province of BC. It doesn't sound like anything is imminent, but basically some comments from uh, Attorney General David Eby made it sound like it might be something that they would be looked at after ICBC said it saw a surge of, of accident uh, claims being made, and one of the reasons they felt that the, the surge was occurring was because people weren't driving with winter tires. Now, uh, you know, for us here up in the interior, it might not seem like a big deal. Of course, winter tires, it's something that we should all be driving with, but when we're talking about province-wide and looking at somewhere like the lower mainland and in yourself in Vancouver specifically I mean winter tires probably aren't going to have a big use for you know 360 plus days of the year so um, I guess just initial thoughts on the comments by David Eby that something like that might even be looked at. I think that it's absolutely unnecessary, and you've identified exactly why. Um, it's because for most of the province that has to deal with snow for several months of the year, the drivers do the responsible thing and get snow tires, or they're experienced enough as drivers to know when they can't be taking their car on the road to make the right decisions when they're navigating the snow, unlike, you know, drivers in the lower mainland where, you know, a couple snowflakes and we all shut down and panic. Um, and I don't think that the entire province should have to be subjected to a specific rule that causes them to have to spend more money, that overburdens tire shops, um, that takes money out of people's pockets, simply because drivers in the lower mainland can't get it together. Um, there's a lot of different ways the government could go about doing this. They could wait until there's an accident, and then they could ticket people under existing laws, like having an improperly equipped motor vehicle, um, if they cause an accident and their vehicle doesn't have snow tires, rather than putting a mandatory requirement that people have snow tires when the vast majority of people in the province either don't need to have such a requirement to know that they need to get snow tires or don't need the requirement because it only snows five days a year. Right. Um, yeah, I think it, it has to be pretty much done on a case-by-case -case basis just because the weather is so varying across BC. Um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I haven't lived in BC for all that long, but even here in town, it doesn't take me very long to realize, hey, if I'm, uh, you know, here downtown where it's a little bit uh, lower uh, in elevation-wise, there's uh, not as much snow as when you just drive 10 minutes up the mountain and all of a sudden it's a, it's a bit of a hairier situation. So even one town can have a pretty drastic shift in, in weather and it's pretty clear that that's the case across the province as well so it's really difficult I think to have sort of a, a blanket law that would cover the province and uh, it would be almost a, a difficult thing to enforce given that you know you might be driving around with winter tires and it's you know plus three and raining outside. 
Oh, absolutely. And and then you, you think about how the NDP has been criticized uh, historically for being very lower mainland centric and sort of forgetting the rest of the province. And I think this is an example that their political opponents could use against them to say, look, you know, we, all of you have to spend more money every year to buy something that you don't necessarily need or to do something that you, you know, you've been able to adapt to um, without buying snow tires. They're taking money out of your pockets to try and service the needs of the lower mainland in a very, very small period of the year. And that's not something that I think most people in this province want to have to do, is, is spend money because people in the lower mainland can't act responsibly. I, I think that that would upset a lot of people in Kamloops and in other ridings where um, where you know they may switch to, uh, to not vote NDP the next time. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about this whole conversation, too, was seeing some of the comments from people out of places like Vancouver and the Lower Mainland in general, where, um, you know, you have to buy winter tires, but a lot of people are living in such tiny little apartments, they'd have nowhere to put them, so they're stuck with this uh, beautiful black rubber uh, decor in their ho- in their apartment as a result of, you know, having to have winter tires, so. Yeah, or the cost of storing them at a tire or shop, that. which is just another bill. <laughs> um, I'll get you out of here on this, because I did want to talk about it as well, just because of the video I found was so shocking. So there was this man on uh, Highway 427, I believe it was, in southern Ontario that was seen walking across the highway on this dash cam footage. Um, he seemed very, you know, nonchalant about the whole situation. It looked like he was involved in an accident and was walking from one side of the highway back to his own car on the other or something along those lines. Uh, ended up causing a, a rear-end collision by the guy who was filming on the dash cam, and then, of course, he had to hit the brakes and someone behind him hit him. Um, I mean, have you seen since stuff like this where people are just, you know, walking across four lanes of of traffic that's going 120 k an hour i mean that just seems stupid and obviously there's got to be some rules against that it's incredibly stupid and of course there are rules against it um even though it's obviously common sense that you don't walk across a four-lane highway uh, at any point and you find yourself a crosswalk um there are laws about jaywalking in every province in canada including in ontario um you know and, and those laws are enforced on you know single lane streets where people don't don't cross uh, except at a, at a crosswalk or at an intersection um for somebody to be doing that uh, on a four-lane highway is absolutely insane it is stupid as you said and it can have as we see in in this case a very significant consequence and the, the man who was involved in an accident by walking across the highway when he did contributed to another accident taking place yeah i just couldn't believe his attitude too when i saw his face on video he was surprised that someone almost got close to him for some reason and then uh, you know was almost it felt like it was the driver's fault that the second collision occurred not the fact that this guy was taking a leisurely stroll across the highway so i just it was pretty funny video although uh, thankfully it was funny because it could have been a lot more serious um yes. thanks so much kyla always love talking to you on monday mornings and uh, we'll do it again next week Great, thank you for having me. Awesome, that was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Coming up, last night's NHL game between the Winnipeg Jets and Chicago Blackhawks was broadcast on the Aboriginal People's Television Network in Plains Cree. I'll be talking about the significance of that after the break. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and 
welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday the 20th. Last night it was hometown hockey. It was an NHL game between the Chicago Blackhawks and Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Chicago ended up winning the game 5-2. But as part of the festivities, it was uh, one of a, a part of a deal that has the NHL broadcasting some contests in Plains Cree. Now I always think it's interesting to hear how commentary can kind of change from one language to another and how sport can sort of transcend language as well. You don't necessarily need to understand the words someone is saying in order to get a handle on what exactly it is they're talking about. Well, uh, you know, one more language was uh, put out into the world there yesterday with Plains Korea Hockey Broadcast. And here now to talk about that is the Acting Executive Director of Programming and Scheduling for the Aboriginal People's Television Network, Danielle Audette. Daniel, Danielle, excuse me, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so like I was saying, I mean, it was a, a really cool chance to, to, to hear the language and, and to hear the broadcast done in, in some language that, you know, we don't necessarily hear very often. Um, you know, Clarence Iron made the call last night, and uh, it was really cool to hear him uh, do the play-by-play -play here for this game between Chicago and Winnipeg. So uh, let me just start by, by getting your take on sort of the significance of being able to, to have a hockey broadcast in Plains Korean, and, and what do you think it means to, you know, Indigenous people to, to have, uh, you know, their language uh, being displayed like this? Well, ABCN is uh, very proud of the fact that we were given that opportunity to deliver this caliber of programming to our viewers in an Indigenous language, and the impact it's had, well, we're still seeing it today. Uh, we're seeing a lot of, we saw a lot of engagement with our viewers during the broadcast, and uh, and and we we continue seeing that reaction of how um, significant it was for members of our Indigenous communities and for our fellow Canadians that are non-Indigenous that uh, got to uh, catch something very unique uh, on APTN, and and that was delivering an NHL production in Plains Creek. Yeah, it was uh, really, really, really cool, I thought. Um, what, one thing that I think has been really neat for me when I was, you know, following along with some of the, the what, what was happening on Twitter and things along those lines was just the number of people that I saw, you know, maybe gathered around the kitchen table with their grandparents and, and were watching this broadcast and, and you know, obviously a, a language that everyone was able to understand and, um, you know, there was no language barrier and, and it just seemed like a real appreciation for, um, you know, what people were, were able to do with, with the older individuals, with elders in the community who maybe, um, you know, didn't ever have this opportunity to see a game broadcast in Plains Cree. I mean, just how cool is it, do you think, that you're seeing some of this outreach now from, from different generations who are able to get together as a result of, of this broadcast? I think that it would be safe to say that it's the, the most uh, touching aspect of seeing the impact of, um, of that type of programming, reaching and connecting with uh, with our elders and with some of the youth, like we saw a lot of uh, families taking pictures of themselves, intergenerational families taking pictures of themselves, watching uh, the game live. We also saw uh, our uh, host Earl Wood, members of his family. Um, particularly his grandchildren, sort of glued to the TV, watching Grandpa host uh, an NHL game in Plains Cree. Um, it's touching. It, it, it's what drives our team here to uh, continue delivering this caliber of programming. And we owe a lot to our Cree speakers that come forward um, who have 
have some experience, you know, uh, interacting with the public, but not at the caliber and not at the not at the numbers that we are reaching with the national audience, coast to coast to coast. And and when we're talking a lot, I know the conversation has an, come up quite a bit over the last year plus, you know, doing talking about the preservation of Indigenous languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we see something like this, when you see um, a national broadcast being able to be done in an, in an Indigenous language, I mean, how, how would you think important that is to the cause when talking about trying to preserve language? And, you know, this really helps make it real, I think, for a lot of people who, who maybe didn't fully understand why, why preserving language was important. Well, I think it it just brings that awareness to um, the general public on how uh, imperative it is for us to list um, uh, minority speakers and give them that platform. It it fosters this um, this uh, empathy that we should have mm-hmm. and encouragement that we should bring to others that might shy away. In speaking in their language because they may feel they don't speak it well or they may feel that they're not giving it uh, the respect it deserves um, when we should actually just celebrate and encourage and uh, foster those to continue that conversation, to continue the conversation in their language and to never shy away from it. So that's what I'm hoping it brings and, and the fact that we have that amazing talent that came together um, from different communities that are engaging with their viewers speaks volumes for us. Yeah, and that makes a, a lot of sense, especially when we're talking about, you know, sort of that outsider perspective of, of you know, maybe hearing a language they would never have even have heard before, um, or at least wouldn't have, uh, you know, acknowledged that they were being able to, that they were hearing it if they had in the past, and, and just sort of get, getting that real-life experience uh, to, to go along with it, and, and, and an entertaining way as well, I think, is really important. Uh, one thing, too, I also wanted to, to ask about, because um, we talked a little bit about the impact there on, on some of the, the older individuals and in Indigenous communities that were able to you know enjoy this but what what about the youth i mean um do you think this has a huge impact on on you know just how real um you know being involved in the sport of hockey can be for an indigenous child now moving forward i mean just having something like this in a native language um not only Mm -hmm. would help you know with their desires to see indigenous language uh preserved from from a youth standpoint but also Mm -hmm. just that they can get involved in a sport and and not have to um you know conform i guess to another culture in order to go about doing that? Well, I think that, um, it, it, you know, it'll ultimately inspire um, any youth that may not necessarily speak Plains Cree, but may be surrounded by members of the community that speak other Indigenous mm-hmm. languages uh, because you ultimately want to, um, you know, Sportsnet giving this to APTN is really allowing us to um, bring in the importance of Indigenous language to the forefront. And inspiring our youth is just a phenomenal experience that we're having. And, and I believe, I firmly believe that it will. And I think that it's a wonderful thing um, with uh, hockey generally bringing communities together too um, and, and just celebrating Indigenous pride. Yeah, I, I think this is a really cool piece, a really cool uh, movement that's happening here as a result of this. Um, what is it? it uh, last month, right, it was a three-year deal that was agreed upon to broadcast at least six NHL games each season in Plains Cree. So uh, we're going to see a lot more of this type of content coming, and I think it's really neat that this is happening. 
Well, thank you so much. I know that our next game is scheduled for Sunday, February 9th, and it happens to be another game between the Jets and the Chicago Blackhawks. So uh, we look forward to delivering that game to our viewers in the next few weeks. And then uh, if anyone's interested, the uh, rest of the schedule is available on our website. Awesome. At aptn.ca. Fantastic. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Like I said, I think it's really awesome that it's happening, and uh, it's definitely something that more people should uh, take the time to uh, at least listen to a little snippet here and there because uh, it's a different way of listening to a hockey game that you might not hear otherwise. And, and like I said off the top, I think it's really awesome to hear the way games are called in different languages, and uh, I just think it's a really neat thing that's happening. So thanks so much for coming on and talking about it. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to the next uh, broadcast here next month. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for uh, allowing me the time to talk about it as well. And um, uh, we'll touch base again in the near future. Sounds good, Danielle. Thank you so much. That was uh, Danielle Audet, Acting Director, Executive Director of Programming and Scheduling for the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Yeah, very cool stuff that APTN is doing. Um, definitely worth checking out here. I'll play the, the clip one more time that I have pulled from uh, Clarence Iron, who was uh, calling the game here last night. <laughs> So if you want to hear more of those calls, you can check out that APTN schedule and find out when the next game exactly is. We just talked about it as well. So now you can mark it in your calendar and, and get ready to, to listen to some Plains Cree hockey commentary. It's, it's uh, worth checking out, I'd say that. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll be sticking with a conversation about hockey and talking about your Cam Loops Blazers. If you take a look at the scoreboard, you probably will say it was a pretty easy weekend for them. Uh, despite having three games and three nights, uh, they didn't really have to be very tired. Um, well, they didn't look very tired. Anyway, three games and three nights, but they won all three games by a combined score of 25 to 3. There were a pair of shutouts this weekend as well. I'll be joined by play-by-play -play announcer John Keane to break it all down after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. I know the Kamloops Blazers sure as heck did. Three wins in three nights, outscoring opponents 25-3 to three over that stretch. Here now to help break it all down is Blazers play-by-play -play announcer John Keane. John, thanks so much for coming on the show here. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, as always, love talking to you on Mondays. And, uh, you know, especially when we're talking about good news like we had here this past weekend. Three nights, three games, three wins. Um, I mean, I, not only was I wasn't surprised that they were able to get all three wins, but just the way they went about doing it. I knew Tri-City wasn't a super strong team, but outscoring them, what was it, 21-3 uh, to three on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, uh, that was a, <laughs> it was a pretty one-sided affair, safe to say. Yeah, it was. And I, I think that, you know, you mentioned it on paper going in, uh, it was going to be, you know, a bit of a mismatch. But in the Western Hockey League, you always have a chance. It doesn't matter who you're, you're playing. Uh, you always have a chance that uh, you can see a big upset. You see it all the time. Uh, a hot goaltender, uh, maybe a couple of bounces here and there. But, you know, the Blazers were determined not to let that happen. And, and they just basically had their way uh, to the point where, you know, I think both nights, uh, Friday and Saturday at the Sandman Center, it just felt like both teams had had enough by the, by the third period. And you probably could have, you know, played the minor hockey straight time in the third period both those nights. And I think both teams would have been okay with it. And, and when we're looking 
looking at uh, Friday night specifically, I know it was uh, 12-3 was the final, but uh, 11 different goal scorers. I mean, I know you put out the call on Twitter to find out when the last time that might have happened in the WHL. I don't, I don't recall you getting an answer to that question, but just how, how crazy is it for you, you know, as someone who's been around hockey for as long as you have and around Kamloops, uh, the Blazers hockey team specifically for as long as you have, I mean, you've probably never seen that many people hit the score sheet in one game. No, I mean, it was incredible, and, uh, and, and you know, it has not happened in the internet era anyways, at least as far as online game sheets go back to 1996-97, uh, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure if you dig deep into the Blazer archives, they have probably done it before, um, you know, when you go back to those teams, uh, even, you know, the Junior Oilers and then the, the Blazers of, like, 84-85 uh, put up a ton of goals, and then, you know, you look back, 92-94-95, those Memorial Cup winning teams, I'm pretty confident it probably has happened, but... Uh, uh, but it has not happened in a long time. Those 12 goals you mentioned, uh, first time in nearly 26 years, the team uh, put up that number. Uh, and, and you mentioned it. The, the, the biggest thing for me is, is it just wasn't, you know, the Zary, Franklin, Sintazo. You know, it was everybody. It was from top to bottom. It was uh, Reese Belton getting his first goal of the year. A guy like Caden Bank here getting three points. I mean, it was top to bottom, and they really spread it around. Yeah, and then uh, looking ahead to a, a little bit more of a tight contest on uh, on Sunday night here in Vancouver, uh, Dylan Grand gets back in the net, uh, his first game back after that top prospects game where he was just uh, you know what, a second or two away from getting that personal shout-out in that game. Uh, Connor Zary, of course, also played in that game, getting three assists. Um, just uh, take me through a little bit about last night's game and, and the performance that you've seen from these guys since coming back from, uh, from the top prospects game. I mean, they seem to really have some energy as a result of being a part of that festivities. Uh, playing with the, the league's best uh, draft-eligible players and, and have really carried that momentum here uh, into uh, a couple of games back with uh, Kamloops now. Yeah, you know, Dylan uh, admittedly said he was rusty last night. Uh, and there's a couple little plays where you could see that, you know, some, some shots to the glove side that usually he'd snap up, you know, it would hit the palm of the glove and bounce out in front. And he, he created a little bit of extra activity in front of him that he needed to be. And he admits, yeah, like really even that top prospects game was a half, a half game on Thursday. Uh, so he hasn't really, you know, been in the, in the thick of things here until last night. And Connor Zary, we were joking on the air that, you know, I'm not sure how he played that top prospects game without getting cross-checked and tripped and slashed and, uh, you know, smelly glove in the face all night long. It must have felt like, uh, you know, a stroll in the park because, you know, he gets a lot of attention from the opposition and, you know, he gets right back up there, you know, uh, Saturday night and scores two goals in the opening three minutes, including one twenty seconds in. Uh, you could tell he wanted to be a part of the Friday game. He wasn't. And then, you know, Saturday he picks up and, and gets a couple. And then he was he was really good again last night in Vancouver. Uh, what, what do you just make of uh, kind of how the Kamloops Blazers are sort of being looked at by the rest of the league now at this point? I mean, they've won eight in a row. Uh, I know on uh, NL Morning News there, uh, I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, we had the GM of the Rockets on, and he was saying, you know, Kamloops is one of those uh, those teams that really sets the bar this year. Um, you know, did you, we see, I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now, three of uh, the top five scorers in the WHL are from Kamloops, Orenson Tazo, Connor Zary, Zane Franklin, of course, leading the way with 72 points and 44 games um, you know just just how are how are other teams viewing the Blazers are they um, you know looked at right now as as one of the favorites to come out of the the WHL do you think or or is it more just uh, uh, you know one of the best teams in the West I mean just sort of how are they being viewed overall when compared to the rest of the dub 
you know, that's a good question. You know, and I'm and I'm happy the Blazers did what they did uh, in Vancouver last night uh, in front of you know Vancouver media people because for some reason in the interior here we seem to care a lot about what Vancouver media has to say, and then we probably you know put stuck in that. Uh, and that's the first time the Blazers have been uh, into Langley, into Vancouver this season. Here, took them all the way to you know mid January to play a game there, and you know the the overall view was like, wow, like uh, these guys are legit. You know that was uh, one of the comments, and you know you're you're finally taking this traveling road show into a big market. You know that gets a lot of attention. You know, and I'm happy the guys had the game they did, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser because you know I don't think this team gets enough credit uh, until they go out and do what they, they, they have done, you know, live in some of these places. And, you know, I, I think they're getting some clout for sure. Um, you know, I think definitely when you talk to, uh, you know, Eastern people, uh, when they did that road trip uh, out to Saskatchewan, uh, basically uh, of all the teams that have gone through there now, and only Victoria is the only team that has yet to do that road trip. You know, folks out there say, yeah, Calvis is the best team we've seen out here. Yeah. So uh, you, you put that you put that in, in perspective for sure. And and one thing I did want to bring up as well. I mean, I know we don't put a lot of stock into it, or you don't anyway, when talking about the CHL top ten rankings. But like going into the year, Ray Camlos was right at the top of that list. Was viewed at one of the, as one of the better teams as a result of that uh, unreal you know exhibition schedule that they had, um, and how they kind of steamrolled their way into the start of the season. And then it seemed they really were always kind of flirting with being a part of that top ten group, but weren't necessarily getting the love. Um, but now they're back in it, um, you know, and and that always puts a bit of a target, I guess. If you will on your back but at the same point it's nice to see that they are getting that respect from uh the canadian hockey league as a whole this isn't just a whl ranking right this is looking at all the teams across the country and and uh you know the fact that they're getting that love eight game win streak is obviously going to help with that cause but um you know just do you think that uh you know looking across the league now that uh, not just the whl but the chl in general that they really are i don't want to say getting respect but getting recognized now that they are in fact one of these better teams and that uh, that preseason wasn't just a fluke yeah, and you know those those rankings are funny because it, the joke is kind of like no one cares about the rankings until you're in them, and then you care about them, <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of the way it is. But you know those rankings, if you look at it, they try to spread the love around. You know, there's always going to be three teams of each league uh, in the OHL and the Quebec League, and then one team will have a fourth, and it's very, you know, sort of win percentage um, kind of uh, kind of um, you know planned or, or ranked, and and it doesn't really take into effect, you know. Uh, schedule or or stretch of games or recent streaks it basically is a glorified standings of um, of uh, of the uh, the three leagues and and they'll they're going to favor divisional you know leaders and things like that and yeah you're right you know i i almost feel like you know the rankings were a little embarrassed because they put the blazers you mentioned fourth to start the year and then they went 0 3 in that opening weekend and it's like never they're, they're banished forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but yeah they made their way in and i know this week I'm sure uh, you know they were seventh. I, I would expect if I know these rankings, they'll be you know bumped up to probably fourth or fifth. All right, John, we got 30 seconds here, but a couple of games coming up against PG here this weekend on Friday, Saturday. The Blazers are one and two against the Cougars so far this year. Um, you think they got a good chance to maintain this win streak, make it ten in a row while they are uh, you know away here for a couple of nights? 
Well, I hope they're motivated to get it done because last time they got up to Prince George, they, they lost both games. Uh, and that was a bit of a shock, even though they you know had 50-some shots each night. They didn't get the results, so they should be hungry to get up there and, uh, and, and win two against uh, another divisional opponent. Perfect. Yep. Friday night and Saturday night in Prince George. You can listen to those games and the announcer here, Mr. John Keane, starting at 7 o'clock. Uh, pre-game will start at, I believe, uh, 6.30 on those nights, so you can listen to that right here on Radio NL. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate you coming on. Okay, Jeff, have a great week. You as well. That was Blazers play-by-play announcer, John Keane. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I'd like to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.